So conflict is all around us. No one is immune to it. Just this week, just this week for myself, I, I was a, a witness to conflict between two people. I experienced conflict myself, and I saw the potential for conflict, and that all was in my kitchen. <laughs> conflict is all around us. We are not able to avoid it. God hasn't sheltered us from the messiness of life, and we have conflict. Uh, having conflict doesn't mean that we're going to end uh, relationships. As hard as it might be, even in the worst situation, conflict can lead to ultimate good. That's what we talked about last week. And so how we handle conflict and how we address conflict can be a testimony to our faith. When it's handled well, we get to shine the light of Christ into the world. And when it's handled not so well... Uh, we end up being a poor witness to what Jesus is doing within our life. And so last week, I want to do a quick recap. When we're experiencing conflict, what I share with you is a three-step approach. That first is we need to start here. We need to start that and ask ourselves this question. Is the conflict I'm in, am I seeing it as a contest or an opportunity to make it better? So our attitude plays an incredible part. It, it's, it's the starting point for every conflict that we may be uh, faced with. The second thing after we start here and, and decide our attitude is we need to focus on giving. Am I giving or am I getting? Am I trying to get from this conflict or is my desire to give? And when my desire to, is to give, I offer generous assumptions about the person or the persons I'm in conflict with. And then after we start here, after I focus on giving, I need to practice love. And how do we practice love? James says it's about being quick to listen so that I'm hearing what the other person has to say, that I am slow to speak, that I'm careful with the words I'm going to use and I'm not using them as weapons, and I am slow to get angry. So start here, focus on giving, and practice love. Last week also uh, I quoted Pastor Jeff and I didn't give him uh, the credit that he deserved on the slide, so I want to make sure you saw there. Jeff Bills, lead pastor, Hope Church. Someone commented last week that I didn't give him uh, his uh, tag, so I wanted you to see it there. Jeff said one time, and actually says quite often, growth leads to change. Change often causes conflict, and conflict becomes an opportunity to make things better or to make it better. Growth leads to change. Uh, you and your spouse at one time were without children. Do you remember those days? Yeah, and then they came along, right? And that created change. It created change. If you're in high school and you move from high school to college or from college to your first job, that's change. Or a new job or retirement, it creates change. And change often causes conflict because when kids come along in a marriage, right, they bring conflict. Because there's things like feeding schedules and life changes and where do I find money for diapers, right? One kid, right, turns into two kids and two kids turns into three kids and change brings conflict. A new job brings conflict, right? Schedule changes, new responsibilities, etc. And what conflict, though, is an opportunity to make things better. So what happens in parenthood, we learn how to navigate through each one of those transitions, each one of those stages, because it's an opportunity to make things better. A new job becomes an opportunity to grow through the conflict associated with it. So growth 
leads to change. Change often causes conflict. Conflict becomes an opportunity to make things better. Our campus, this campus right here, has, has been an example of that statement as well. Hope for 26 years was one campus. And then Hope grew into two campuses. It brought change. We had to have two locations. We had to have new schedules. We had to have new people. We had plenty of transitions and plenty of change. And with that change brought conflict. Now, over here in Mount Laurel, we may not have noticed that, but we created conflict in Voorhees. Because all of a sudden, there were people who said, I don't see the people I used to see every Sunday. They're not here anymore. And then conflict that we experience here is how do we maintain a campus, a portable campus? How do we find truck drivers? How do we find more truck drivers? If any of you folks pulled in in a pickup truck, we're taking down license plates now, <laughs> all right? So we will find you and have you on the team. But not only is there change, not only is there conflict, conflict is an opportunity to make things better. Hope Church is a better place because we're navigating through the conflicts that make this better. So, for example, our Mount Laurel campus is leading the way in Hope Church's invite strategy. We are doing things that are challenging the Voorhees campus. How can they do a better job of inviting new people, of being an influence in their community and providing new direction? So together, we're making it better. So Growth leads to change. Change often causes conflict, and conflict becomes an opportunity to make things better. But change is not the only cause of conflict. And so this morning, I want to talk about another cause of conflict, probably a primary cause of conflict. So the author of the book of James was James. Yeah, it's funny how the Bible does that. Uh, and James was the brother of Jesus, or most, most people assume or, or, or uh, believe that James is the brother of Jesus. And he's writing to Jewish Christians. Most likely he's writing to the first century Christians who left Jerusalem when they were persecuted in Acts chapter 8. So for those of you who are thinking that, that's correct. It was Acts chapter 8, yeah. And so James is giving some practical instruction in the book of James. He gives practical instructions for living and following Jesus. And he says that following Jesus is the best way for people to live life. And so the way that probably worked is that when James wrote that letter, it was passed out and distributed to the different churches and all the surrounding areas. And when they would gather in worship, like we're gathering now, someone would get up and say, hey, we have a letter. It just came from James. Let me read it to you. And they would read this letter that James had written. And James tells them that their lives are changing and that true faith is seen in a good life lived. And that belief is not enough, that faith isn't enough, that our faith has to be demonstrated in the way we live because following Jesus is a different way of life. And so in James chapter 4, it's going to be up on the screen, James talks about conflict. He says this, he begins with, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? So according to James, he starts out right away saying that uh, he puts it really quite bluntly. He says the root cause of conflict is coming from something that's inside of us. Because what's on the inside affects the outside. And James's letter says that throughout. That what happens on the inside affects the outside. 
And so how we deal with conflicts and quarrels is a reflection of our spiritual condition. He goes on and says this, you want what you don't have. And he's talking now about the things that are going on inside. You want what you, want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. So conflict is more about what's inside of me. And James talks about jealousy and evil motives and speaking evil of others and self-confidence and selfishness. That conflicts and disputes among believers are always harmful. And when those things are not dealt with in a healthy way because our motives are wrong, or when it's not dealt with in a healthy way because there's this evil desire that's battling within us because we want more possessions or want more money or want higher status or want more recognition. And so I would suggest that what James is saying here is that we have a monster hidden within us. That there's a, a war inside of us. That there's a heart issue. James is telling us that there's a monster hidden within us that is causing conflicts. Now, this is probably not the greatest movie illustration on Mother's Day, but <laughs> uh, I'm going to bring it anyway. Have you seen the movie Split? So, uh, it's a... It's a a movie by M. Night Shyamalan. You just mumble that and then it comes out fine. <laughs> he, um, uh, he has this character who has uh, multiple personalities. And throughout the movie is this character, one of the personalities is a monster. And throughout the movie, what is so, uh, 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 and for me, was a draw me into this film was waiting to see what the monster would be like. And it's there inside of who he is. And it's just waiting to come out. James says that there's a monster hidden within us that causes conflict. It feeds off of jealousy and it feeds off of selfishness and it feeds off of arrogance. And there's this war inside of us, he says. And then verse 4, he gets really blunt he says, you adulterers, that was a slam in the first century. <laughs> you adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. And so James is really clear and honest with uh, the folks he's writing to, and he is not suggesting that we avoid the world. That's what my grandmom read when she read these verses. Back in the day, she would read this as, Ricky, we don't go to movies. Movies are not good for us. That's the world. Ricky, we don't play cards because that's of the world. That's not what James is talking about here in verse 4. James is saying, he's saying that um, we have to make a choice. You can either be a friend to the world of quarrels and fights. And, and in chapter 3, he talks about loose tongues and, and, and pride and envy and, and, and selfish ambition. We can make a choice to live 
that way, or we can make a choice to be a friend of the world of God's kingdom, which is peace and grace and righteousness. And again, he talks about that in chapter 3. James tells these first century followers of Jesus, and he's telling you and me, we have a choice. We can continue to feed the monster that's within that causes conflict. Or we can find the cure that takes the monster away. See, our world is filled with examples of how to live. And the question is, which are we going to choose? Will we feed the monster? That's one way to live. So when we're in conflict, what can we do? One way to feed the monster? Avoidance. We just choose to ignore the problem. Another way to feed the monster is to become defensive, believing it's the other person's fault entirely. Another way, forgetting to listen, choosing arrogance instead, because the reason we don't listen is because we already know, right? Playing the blame game, not looking inside of us, but looking at someone else for all of the responsibility for this problem or conflict. And probably one of our favorites is attacking especially in today's world, right? Because attacking now can be done via email, Facebook, all sorts of social media opportunities for us to attack, to send email grenades, and to speak evil. So that's one way. That way always feeds the monster. Or we can choose God's kingdom. Now, when we hear kingdom, we don't really... Kingdom in the 21st century is like this interesting uh, idea. We don't really know kingdoms, right? We don't really experience kingdoms. But another way would be God's rule or God's way of living. So one choice is to feed the monster. The other choice is to find the cure for the monster. And we have a choice. And I would suggest that God's way leads to peace and grace and righteousness. And it's a better way to live And it's a way to cure the monster. And so James states the problem. We have a monster within. James says that we have a choice. But what I love about James in chapter 4 is he doesn't just lay out the problem. And he doesn't just say we have a choice. He provides a solution. It's up on the screen. It's in uh, James chapter 4. It begins with verse 7. It says, so humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. And then he wraps it up with humble yourselves before the Lord and you will be lifted up in honor. James bookends this paragraph with the idea of humility. I would suggest that humility is the cure to the monster living within us. A cure for the monster that's feeding off of our heart and leads to conflict with the people that we love most, with people that we're in community with. 
The humility is the cure to tame the monster that's hiding and lurking underneath the surface. Interesting thing about, community, uh, about uh, humility is that it's, it's one of those qualities that you can't pursue directly. Like you can't say, I'm just going to decide to be really humble today. Like you just can't do that, right? You can't decide, I'm going to be as humble as possible today. It's something that grows in us. It's not something that we can seek to have. I'm not going to practice humility. It's one of those things that we have to work. It's not something we can work to get. It's a byproduct of the life that we're living. There are other words like that. Self-control is another one that it's, you can't really work to get self-control. It's a byproduct. Patience. You can't pray for patience. You can pray for patience, but you're going to be put in circumstances where you need patience, and you're going to learn to grow patience. Peace, joy, humility are all byproducts, I would argue, byproducts of living God's way. So as we choose to follow God's way, God's kingdom, if we choose to follow the rule of God, living the way God wants us to live, and we begin to develop God's way, it becomes the best way, and we begin to grow self-control and patience and peace and joy and humility. And humility becomes the cure for the monster living inside of us. So James says that as we grow humility, James offers two things we can do to grow it. He says, resist the devil and come close to God. And that's an interesting thing. Like, what's that mean to, how do you resist the devil and come close to God? I think James is just letting us know that we have choices to make. We can choose to live a life that's filled with attack and defense, email grenades, blame games, Or we can resist that way of life and choose to come close to God and choose to live God's way. He says we can wash our hands and purify our hearts. I think there he's talking about becoming aware of the habits and the behaviors that we need to change. See, it's one thing to, to hear about avoidance and defense and attacking. It's another to admit when I do it. Email grenades was my favorite practice 20 years ago. When email first came out, I'm like going, oh, man, I can just tell people exactly what I'm thinking. Yeah, that didn't go well. A lot of emails I wish I could take back 20 years ago. And so having confession and change, it's washing your hands and purifying your hearts. Humility is the cure to tame the monster hiding under the surface. So the reality is, is that conflict will always be a part of our life. It will always be with us. How we respond to conflict becomes our choice. And we can overcome the pressure of conflict by identifying its source, recognizing that I may be feeding a monster that's living inside of me. And I'm going to choose instead to follow God's way of living and growing humility. Because that's the cure to the monster within. 
Like I said last week, a church's, I talked last week about a church's orbit and a church's gravitational pull. And when I, what I was talking about was that uh, I said that a church's orbit is the influence that a church has. And so when we all disperse here and go to our places and do our things that we're going to do for celebrating Mother's Day and all that stuff we do on Monday at work and school and all those things we do, that's our church's orbit. And so when you're, at, uh, when you're at the park or when you're at work or when you're at a school, that's part of Hope Church's orbit. And our gravitational pull has to do with how is it that we are reacting and acting within our worlds. So when we leave here and go to our places, there are times where people may see us living in work in our places as we're living out life where they may be attracted to us. And they go, you know what? There's something unique and interesting about that family, about the way they live, about the way that they function, about the way that they do life. There's something interesting about the guy in the cubicle next to me and about the way he lives and the way he does his life. And people will be drawn to that. That's our gravitational pull. So as we're living in our homes and our works and our schools, how we live life can lead to a revolution. A revolution is, I looked it up, it's the overthrow of a social order in favor of a new system. In favor of a new system. And so as we live life at home and work and school, how we live life can lead to a new system. If we start here, when we're going into a moment of conflict saying, all right, what's my attitude? Am I going into this as a contest? Or do I want to make something better? Am I focused on giving? Or am I only hoping to get something? Am I practicing love in this circumstance? And am I choosing to live under God's kingdom and God's way and God's rule because it's the best life possible and it is building into me qualities of life that are attractive, that would draw people in. It is teaching me humility so that the monster that's inside of me will be dismissed and put aside. Choosing to grow self-control and patience and joy and peace and humility. See, we have a choice. We can cure the monster inside. It's a heart issue that we have to deal with in every moment of conflict. What's causing this Am I feeding that monster or is it being put aside by the fruit of the Spirit? So let me pray for us. The band's going to come up. They're going to uh, lead us in the final song. I wanna, we want to give some time for reflection as we uh, 
uh, wrap up this series. And so let me pray for us. And then uh, Lonnie and Susie are going to lead us in a song. So God, I thank you for the men and women in this room. I thank you, God, for this time and this space that we have. God, I pray that as we are reflecting on what's going on inside of us, I pray that each of us would be able to be honest with ourselves and honest with you. That there are times in life when we are uh, probably almost every day, times when we are have potential to be in conflict. God, sometimes at work, sometimes at school, sometimes at home. And God, in some of those times, uh, there are people who are, they're just living a different life than us, living a different way to us. And God, we can, I pray, God, that we would make the decision to choose to follow your way and your rule. God, that we would be a demonstration of a different way to live. A new system could be put into place that men and women and boys and girls would be drawn to our gravitational pull and become part of our orbits. But God, that's going to require us to stop feeding the monster inside of us. So God, I pray that that would be each of our desires. That we would know that following you and a life with you is the best life possible. And we thank you for these things and pray them in Christ's name. Amen.